Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Good morning, Eastern Shore Baptist Church. It's a delight to be here with you yet again. Uh, my name is Stuart Davidson. Of course, I'm the pastor here. I would like to start this morning uh, with a word of prayer. Would you join me as we pray together uh, to our Lord? Uh, let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you today, and we are thankful to be in your house, uh, thankful that we are with one another. And Lord, we look forward to the day uh, very soon where we can gather again in this place. Lord, where we can worship you corporately together as one. And Lord, that's going to be a marvelous day. But Lord, I would maintain that today is a marvelous day. Lord, I believe that your spirit is alive and that you are moving in the lives of your people. And Lord, today we have so many things to be thankful for, so many things to be grateful for. And so, Father, I pray that our people will rise up and be people of joy. Father, thank you for the fact that we get to read your word, for the, for the fact, Lord, that we get to pray to you, that we can sing songs and hymns, Lord, magnifying your name. Lord Jesus, today I pray that you will bless the reading and the hearing of your word and that, Father, you will bless the application of your word. What good is it, Lord, to, to hear it if we don't do it? And so, Father, today I pray that, that as we read your word together, that, Lord, you will imprint yourself into our spirit and that, Lord, you would shine forth in our lives, that people will hear your voice as we talk, and that, Father, we would see the world in a manner that you would see the world. Lord, help us to see the hurt that is around us. Lord, help us to see the pain that is before us. And Lord, let us bring the medicine. And of course, we know that that aid is Jesus Christ himself. Lord, we pray all these things today in your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, have you ever had one of those aha moments? One of those moments where maybe you're just driving in your car and you heard a certain song and, and then all of a sudden the, the Lord stepped into your passenger seat and maybe just spoke to you. Almost like you could hear it, hear his voice clearly, an aha moment. I, uh, I've had aha moments over the course of my life. I had an aha moment when I decided that it was time for me to ask my wife to marry me. I had an aha moment when my wife came in for the very first time and said, Stuart, I'm pregnant. That was an aha moment. I had an aha moment one time as I was running on a treadmill at the Bell Road YMCA in Montgomery, Alabama. It was a Tuesday. I had just been at the state board uh, of the Baptist Convention there in Montgomery. I had been at Vaughn Forest Baptist Church. It, it was a normal Tuesday. It was a business meeting day. And, and before I came home, I decided I was going to go for a run. So I went to the Bell Road YMCA. And as I was running on that treadmill, a song by, by, uh, by the name of uh, the guy that wrote the song is uh, Ronnie Freeman. And the song is called Orphan of God. And as I was listening to that song, I had an aha moment. It was like God was running on the treadmill right next to me. And he said, Stuart, it is time. 
I'm calling you to adopt. And I remember getting in my car, traveling back to the eastern shore, and I called my wife and I said, Honey, God has spoken to me. I believe that he is calling you and I to adopt. Now, we had no idea where we were going to be adopting from. We had no idea, boy, girl, what we were going to be looking at. But God knew, and God knew that that little boy's name would be Jet. And we've had aha moments probably during this COVID-19. I know that I certainly have. I, I can remember thinking, you know, they just canceled the NCAA basketball tournament because of COVID-19, the coronavirus. That's a little strange. And then they canceled all the spring sports for college. So softball and baseball, all of that got canceled. And I said, well, this is a little concerning. And then they began to close the movie theaters. They began to, to ask churches to stop meeting together. And I thought, well, my goodness, this is even more concerning. And then one of the things that my family has always been involved in has been youth sports. My oldest son, he plays at the high school. He plays baseball, and they canceled his baseball season. And, and then I was coaching uh, my middle son, Jack. I was actually the head coach of his baseball team, and then they canceled that season as well. It was very upsetting because we have a passion for watching our kids play ball. And then, of course, they took away the movies. Then they took away one of my favorite things is to, to eat out. I love taking my wife and family out to lunch after church. And then they closed all the restaurants. And then it got me thinking, you know, here we are in the midst of the United States and the world. And we're all very scared and, and taken aback by this coronavirus. And God has used this small little germ to shut down every single thing that I think is important in life. God has used a small little germ to shut down our pleasure pursuits. For a long time, we weren't able to go to the gymnasium. We weren't able to lift weights. We weren't able to go out. We, we couldn't go out to eat. We couldn't go see movies. He took away all of our sports. They're even talking right now about either not having a football season or potentially having a shortened football season, and people are losing their minds because of it. And it was in the moment that I was thinking about all the things that God has taken away that I had my aha moment. You know, maybe God is removing all of the things in this world that we place priority and importance upon so that we can look inwardly and discover what is coming up short in our relationship with him. Oh, friends, let me tell you, I hope that you have used this time, this coronavirus, this COVID-19, as everything has been shut down. I hope and pray that you have used this time where God has stripped away all the things that we do, even our jobs. Many of us aren't even allowed to go into work. I hope that you have used this period of time to develop and grow your walk with Jesus Christ. I hope that you have used this time to, to read your Bible. God has given us so much more time to read his word and to pray and to develop and grow our relationship with him. I hope that you haven't wasted it. But friend, I, I, I want to tell you that in today's message, we have a man who has an aha moment. His, his, we don't know his name. We just know him as the rich man. 
And this morning, I want us to understand that God gives us opportunities to do great and marvelous things in this world. He does. And yet many of us, we miss it. We, we trust in our resumes. We think we're doing all these great things. But the reality is, is we miss the opportunities that God has given to us. And friends, this morning, I want to tell you this rich man discovered way too late that there was more to this life. More to this life than earning money. More to this life than being successful at our jobs. More than this life than, than being a great coach or winning a championship. There was more to this life than getting that raise. There's more to this life than building our portfolios. There is more to this life. And sadly, this man discovers it too late. Friend, let me tell you, there is more to your life than what you're living right now. God has a plan for you, and it's a good plan. It's a healthy plan, and it's a helpful plan, but I pray that you don't miss it. This morning, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I'm reading from the NIV to set up the story here. Jesus is telling a parable. He's telling this parable to his disciples. Now, in Luke chapter 15, we see Jesus talking to Pharisees. Now, there are Pharisees around, certainly, but this message is directed to people in Jesus' audience that believe that if they do good things, then certainly they'll be admitted into heaven. And friends, let me tell you, these people are going to come up Short. If you remember in Luke 15, we have the parable of the lost things. We have the parable of the lost sheep. We have the parable of the lost coin. We have the parable of the lost son. And now today, Jesus is giving his followers and the outskirts of the Pharisees, he's giving them a parable on how to live life in a meaningful and yet an eternal, with an eternal perspective. And so this morning, let's read together verses 19 through 31 of Luke chapter 16. I'm reading this morning from the NIV. It says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate there laid a beggar named Lazarus, and Lazarus was covered with sores. And he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham from far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water to cool my tongue because I am, I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between you and, and us is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. In verse 27, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Then Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. 
But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, if you want to look on Roman numeral one, we discover the rich man's problems. Now, before we go any, any further into the story, let's not misunderstand here the words of Christ. It would be easy to, to read this story and say to ourselves, well, all I have to do to gain heaven is to help those who are needy. In order for me to experience eternal reward, I have to devote myself to helping the sick and the suffering, the hurting and the abused here on planet earth. Friend, that, that is not at all what Jesus is saying. The, the problem with the rich man was not that he didn't help those who were needy. His problem was that he did not possess a regenerate heart. He was a faithless man. Chances are he possessed all the knowledge of God and what God expected of him, and yet he never acted on him. Notice that he recognizes Abraham. He knows who Abraham is. Chances are this rich man had the best of religious education from the best of the religious teachers. He knew God's word. He knew how to apply it to his life, and yet he still fell short. He, he could have helped every needy person that he ever came across with, and he still would have ended up in exactly the same spot. And the reason that he did not go to where Lazarus went was not because he was poor and needy. It was because he did not possess the faith that Lazarus possessed. This rich man may have looked alive on the outside, and yet he was dead on the inside. We see, by the way, that this rich man, he lived a long life. He lived a prosperous life. God gave this man many opportunities to come to know him, to have a relationship with him, and in every time, every situation, he missed them. We see that he had every opportunity to get his right life, uh, his, his life right. He had the prophets. He had Moses, and yet he declined every single offer. You see, this rich man wanted to come to God in his way. He wanted to be the determining outcome to declare to God, God, I will come to you, but I'm going to follow my own path, and I'm going to live by my own rules. And God said, sorry, that's not how this works. He had declined all the offers. This rich man had numerous problems. Look at letter A. He was a distracted man. In verse 19, it says that he was dressed in purple. He had fine linen, and he lived in luxury every single day. Notice that he dressed in purple. Purple at, the, at that time was the color of royalty, this man believed himself to be of nobility. He fancied himself as a royal. He saw himself when he looked himself in the mirror. He didn't see a regular man. He saw a king standing before him. Not only did he have the finest of clothes, he had the finest of linen, and he lived in luxury. He lived palatially. He had a great home. He had all the trappings of a wealthy 
person. This man was distracted by all the material wealth that anyone could have in that day and in that time. And friends, we see the same problems here now in America. America is the most wealthy nation that the world has ever seen. In comparison to the rest of the world, the poorest of the poor in America are richer than anyone else in the world. Oh, let me tell you, even though we have been stricken with coronavirus and COVID-19, even though people have lost their jobs, even though people would say that they are struggling, and no doubt they are, our people are still blessed in comparison and yet this man, he was even more so blessed. Do you remember the story where, where Jesus says that it is easier for a rich man to, to pass through, for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through the smallest of gates in Jerusalem than it is for a rich man to gain heaven. Oh, friend, it makes it very difficult when you're rich because you live so distracted. Not only was he distracted, but he was disinterested. This rich man, he was disinterested. In verse 20 and 21, we see at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. He was covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores this man was disinterested in the suffering that was laid right outside his door. Lazarus was sick and he was suffering, and yet this rich man turned a blind eye to Lazarus. So close was the suffering that Lazarus was experiencing that this man was confronted with it every single day. This man had a hard heart. He had a callous heart. He did not care. Not only did he not care about Lazarus, but it's inferred in this scripture that this man did not care about anybody but himself. It wasn't just Lazarus, but it was everyone. This man was not interested in the sufferings of those that were around him. Friend, let me ask you a question this morning. What is your attitude towards those who are suffering right outside of your door? Well, preacher, I'll be honest with you. I walk out my front door and I have a manicured lawn. I, I don't have a Lazarus that's living right outside my door. Friend, do you have a neighbor? If you have a neighbor, you have someone suffering. <laughs> if you have a neighbor that especially has no relationship with Jesus Christ, that person, God has uniquely placed you within the vicinity of that person so that you can minister to him or to her. When's the last time you invited your neighbor to church? When's the last time you spoke to your neighbor about anything spiritual? When's the last time that you had any type of conversation with your neighbor? Are you certain today that the person living right next to you, to your right or to your left, you're, you're telling me today that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that person isn't somehow quietly suffering on the inside? And of course, then we get to the larger issues. Uh, what about the person that is uh, a refugee? What about the person down at our local, local homeless shelter or the people that come and spend time at our church with the Family Promise Ministry? But what is your attitude towards those who are sick and suffering and hurting? Are you turning a blind eye towards them? Lazarus, we know, he suffered 
he suffered mentally. You can fill in that blank. In verse 20, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Do you remember the story of the friends who lowered their paralyzed buddy through the roof of a home so that Jesus could heal him? You'll find that story, by the way, in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And that is one of my favorite stories because it is a story of friendship. These unnamed men loved their friend and they were not satisfied with leaving him alone or leaving him in his present condition. These friends, they did something about it. They wanted to help him. They acted. They had faith. They showed tenacity and they showed courage. They took care of their friend. Yet in this story, where is Lazarus's friends? Well, look around. They were nowhere to be found. There was no mention of them. All we know is that someone laid poor, sick, suffering, sore Lazarus outside of this rich man's gate. There's no inference that anyone would come and pick him up. It seems that if Lazarus laid there for days and days and that he suffered, and by the way, it's inferred in Scripture that this man, Lazarus, We know that he died, and it would make sense that this man, Lazarus, died outside the home of this rich man, a person that might be able to help him. Can you imagine for just one moment the mental torment that must have been there for poor Lazarus? He would cry, and he would eventually die alone. All of us will look at death in the eye one day, and we don't know the time or the day, but we all know that it's coming for us, and it could be in a car accident, or it could be at the end of a lengthy illness. Yet most of us, we will die knowing that we were loved, and many of us will die with someone in the room holding our hand if we are fortunate enough to live that long. Well, friends, just the other day, I I did a, a, a funeral service for a sweet lady in our church. She was into her 90s. Her name was Thelma Busby. I'm grateful for Thelma because Thelma uh, did quite a bit to help us adopt Jet. And as I talked to Thelma's family, Thelma had her family by her bedside as she slipped from this reality into the ultimate reality. Her family was there holding her hands, praying for her. They were connected to her, but not poor Lazarus. Lazarus died alone. He was a stranger. Take a moment and imagine the mental torment that Lazarus went through. We know that Lazarus, that he suffered mentally. We know that he suffered materially. In verse 20, he was a beggar. He had nothing. He had nothing. He had no clothes. He had no money. He had no food. He had no home. Lazarus, he suffered materially. He had nothing. We also know that he suffered medically. It says again in verse 20 that he was at his gate and that he was a beggar, and that he was covered with sores. 
almost disgusting like the scripture tells us that the only medical remedy to Lazarus's pain were the dogs that would come up and lick his sores. Oh, it's just gross when you really think about it. But that's the only type of solace that Lazarus was able to have. Animals coming up and licking him. My goodness, friends, what a terrible place to be. Can you imagine the stench? Can you imagine the smell? Can you imagine the disgusting sight that Lazarus would have been outside this rich man's gate? Oh, friend, let me tell you, I think many of us, if we were confronted with the same thing, many of us, we would just pass on by. I graduated from seminary in New Orleans, Louisiana, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, New Orleans Baptist, by the way, is known for its missions program, and it has a dynamite missions program. I can remember one time going out to eat with one of my professors, and we were going down, uh, uh, down a lesion, a lesion field uh, that leads right into the French Quarter. And as we were driving down the street, we noticed that at all of the street lights, there were all these panhandlers. And my, my seminary professor at the time, he was driving, and I was in the back seat, and we had all these preacher boys uh, that we were all going to out to eat in New Orleans that night. And as we were driving, this pastor, he stopped at the stoplight. And, and he saw one of the panhandlers approach him. And do you know what our, what our seminary professor did? He rolled up the window. He rolled up the window. And, and he, he locked the doors. And he just kept on driving. And, and he said, almost as a justification to himself as, as he was surrounded by preacher kids, he said, you know what? We have so many panhandlers here in Louisiana, so many panhandlers here in New Orleans. Well, friends, let me tell you, that's the same attitude that the rich man had. He was constantly bothered with Lazarus's problems. He was constantly hearing Lazarus's complaints. And you know what? He just turned a blind eye toward him. He was distracted, but we also see that he was disinterested. He was disinterested in Lazarus's suffering, and now we see that he is also facing death. One of his greatest problems was that he would be facing death. In verse 22, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried. Uh, again, we are inferring here that the rich man and the poor man, Lazarus, that they died at similar times. The, the poor man dying first, and the rich man dying afterwards began to make me think about a piece of scripture out of Matthew 25 verses 31 through 36. I, I want to read it for you. When the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd, as a, excuse me, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom is prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Friend, it was in death that we see Jesus' words brought to a reality. So this morning, this is most likely the most interesting text that I am ever going to preach on because it gives us a visual of what hell and what heaven is like. It gives us a visual of what hell and what heaven is like. So what is hell like? When we read this scripture, what do we discover about hell? What is it like? In order to understand hell, you have to understand what the word hell means. The, the word hell, it occurs 23 times in the New Testament. There are basically two words or pictures that are used. The first word is used 12 times and is the Hebrew word Gehenna, which comes from the word Gehi, which it means valley, and Hinnom, which means sorrow. The Valley of Hinnom was a garbage dump south of Jerusalem where garbage and dead animals were taken to be burned. And the smelling of burning decay and death, it must have been horrible. It was the worst possible place, not only that a Jew could imagine going, but it was the worst possible place that anyone could imagine going. And the second word that is being used here, it was used ten times in the New Testament, and is the Greek word Hades. And it comes from the word ha, which means not, and edo, which means to see or perceive by any of the senses. It means that it was a place of darkness. It was a place where you could not see. Hell is a place of torment. In Luke 16, verse 23, in Hades, where he was in torment. Now, we do not understand fully what this torment really looks like or how it plays out over eternity, but we know that it was a place of torment. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 32, it says, They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We know that hell is a painful place. It is a place of misery. It is a place of weeping. It is a place of deep discomfort to which there is no medical cure for. It's a horrible place. Not only do we know that hell is a place of discomfort, but we also know that hell is a place of great distance. In verse 23, he looked up and he saw Abraham from far away with Lazarus by his side. Now again, I do not believe for one second that Jesus is giving us just some sort of allegory here. I don't believe that Jesus is just saying, you know, this is sort of how it is. When I believe, I just be honest with you, I believe that what Jesus says is literal and can be trusted. And I believe that if it's in God's word, that it is literal and can be trusted. So if you were to ask me today, preacher, are you telling me that when I'm in hell that I can actually look and see heaven? You, you're telling me that I can see what I missed? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this is what the parable says. 
This is what the parable says. Making hell one of the worst places because it's a place of great pain, suffering, torment, fire, burning. There is no cure. And yet you can see what you have missed. And not only can you see heaven, but you recognize immediately characters that you grew up knowing. This man had never met Abraham before, but he knew it was Abraham. He was able to recognize that that man out there in heaven at a far distance, that that man was Lazarus. You can see what you missed. Alcatraz, by the way, has a long and infamous history. It served as a Civil War fortress and is remembered for it serving as a federal prison for the better part of 30 years. And the prison is located really just three short miles from the heart of San Francisco. And even closer, by the way, to the shoreline of California. And they say that the prison, that it was impossible to escape from. It was filled with cold water. It was filled with sharks. And yet they say that the worst part of being in Alcatraz was that the prisoners could look out their windows and they could see the city lights of San Francisco. And they can hear the cars and the horns. And they could hear the, the bustling lives of, of people that were free. They could hear their voices. Men who had not seen a woman for 30 years could hear the voices of women as they would celebrate and congregate during the night. It was a horrible place to be because they knew that their decisions had landed them in Alcatraz and yet they could hear and see what they had missed. And yet hell is going to be a very similar thing. It was a place of distance. It was also a place of desperation. Before we get to that point, let me read 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Again, as we're talking about distance, it says this in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And now we see letter C, desperation, verse 24. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And, and send Lazarus to dip in the, his finger in order that my thirst may be quenched. I am in agony in this fire. Father Abraham, send Lazarus. And of course we know that that doesn't happen. And we see that hell is a place of disappointment. In verse 25, Luke 16, verse 25, But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things? While Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Friends, hell is an awful place because we will be trapped there and we will be reminded by our memories of all the things that we could have done differently. Lazarus will be reminded for eternity all the ways he could have made a difference and yet he chose the path of selfishness. Excuse me, the rich man knows those things. In the midst of all the searing pain, we will have the most clarity of thought. Perhaps the most clear thinking that any human will do is the thinking that humans will do in hell. And it will be a crushing thinking. 
disappointment, a crushing disappointment. And friend, let me tell you yet again that hell is definitive, that it is definitive, that there is no escaping it. In Luke 16, verse 26, and besides all of this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set or fixed in place so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. They, they can't come. There is no going back and forth. There is no highway that connects heaven to hell. Now, friends, let me tell you some things that I have taken away from this story. The first one is, is that hell is real and real people go there. Hell is real and real people go there. On the flip side, heaven is real and real people go there. Understand this, that real people go to hell. Understand that it is ourselves that send us there. It is our denial of God's supreme authority over our lives and our refusal to obey his words and our, our unwillingness to admit that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that we are judged and sent to hell. Hell was not created for me. It wasn't created for you. Hell was not created for humanity. Hell was created for the devil and for demons. And yet we can also share in their participation of judgment if we choose to. There are many who will deny Jesus Christ and will be judged by their own works. They'll be judged by their own resume. And sadly, it will not be enough. Hell is a real place. Real people go there. Hell is a place where, sadly, we are judged by our works. And sadly, we are unable to go to heaven if we refuse to obey Jesus Christ. Three, I believe that heaven and hell are immediate when we die. I believe that when we die, for those of us that die, it will seem immediate. It will seem immediate. Now, there are all types of argument as to, uh, arguments as to when judgment comes for man. I, I don't really know the answer to that, but I do know that when we die, it will feel for us like we are standing before the Lord immediately. Notice that the rich man died, Lazarus died, and they are immediately in heaven and hell. There is no idea of purgatory here. There is no idea of I can go to a place, I can suffer and pay for my sins for a while, and then I can go to heaven. That is not scriptural and it's not biblical. It's just not written there. Hell, sadly, is also a place of great eternity. You might think to yourself, well, maybe if I die and I go to hell, maybe if I just come and say, but Lord, I do believe in you now. I do believe in you, friend. That will be impossible. That will be impossible. Notice, by the way, that the rich man never, ever says that he will be obedient to God. Never does he give God the respect that he should have given him on earth. He doesn't even do that in hell. That's why hell is eternal. It's because we have an eternal denial of God in hell. And that's what keeps us there. It's our eternal denial of God and who he is. 
which is the converse of heaven. Heaven is a place of eternal worship. Heaven is a place of eternal acknowledgement of who God is and what he has done. Uh, Lastly, I would say this. There are some people in our society and in our world that believe in ghosts. Friend, I don't believe in ghosts. Uh, Ghosts are not biblical. There's nothing in Scripture that says that when a person dies, that that person's spirit lingers on earth and wanders around in buildings and jumps out of corners to scare you at night. I don't believe in ghosts. Well, why? Because Christ is giving me a picture very clearly of what happens when we die. When we die, we are destined for one of two places. For those that died, that destination will seem immediate. We will stand before the Lord and receive judgment immediately. There is nothing scriptural that says that when we die that our spirit will hang around and and, uh, haunt people. It's just not biblical. Now I will say this though, I do believe in demonic power and presences. I believe that demonic power can be seen, and I also believe that Satan uses demonic power to confuse people who are close to finding God. If Satan can keep our eyes on the spiritual realm, if he can keep our eyes fixed on ghostly entities, then we will never be able to focus our eyes on Christ. We'll be so busy pursuing these other things that, again, we'll have a missed opportunity. Friend, I believe that hell is real. Real people are going there. I believe hell is eternal. I believe judgment is fast. And I believe that when the human body dies, that we are immediately and unequivocally taken to one of two places. It is definitive. In Matthew 25, verse 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus speaking there, when we die, we will go away to eternal punishment and to the righteous eternal life. One of two places. That's what Jesus says. Judgment immediate for us. That's the way it will feel. And there is no escape. There is no escape from heaven to hell or from hell to heaven, or from either place back to earth. Now what's interesting is Roman numeral three. The good news is, is that hell can be deflected. Hell can be deflected. Now go back to Lazarus's question. And he says this, that after Lazarus died and the rich man died, it says that the rich man called out to Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. And then he is denied. And in verse 27 it says, And I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers, and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham also denied that request. They have Moses and the prophets. And again in verse 31, if they don't listen to Moses and they don't listen to the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Well, brothers and sisters, I've got great news. God did rise someone from the dead. God did rise someone from the dead, and that man's name is Jesus. 
And Jesus remained on planet Earth for some 500 days. And during that period of time, he was, or excuse me, 40 days. And during that period of 40 days, he was seen by some 500 people. Chances are, hopefully, maybe Lazarus' brothers were in that crowd. God did send someone back from the dead. But isn't it amazing that even though we have history that proves the resurrection, even though we have science that proves the resurrection, even though we have eyewitness testimony that proves the resurrection of Jesus, even though we have accounts that were written not even by followers of Christ that prove the authenticity of the resurrection, that you still have people that don't believe. You still have people that don't believe. Abraham's right. Abraham said, listen, even if, I send, even if someone goes back from the dead, they'll still not believe. Just the other day, I was, oh, I was spending some time on the internet, and I was studying for this, and I, I, I typed in resurrection and resurrection from the dead, and, and there was a video that came up on YouTube, and it was uh, uh, a group of people, I believe they were in Zimbabwe, and they had an evangelist there in Zimbabwe, and they had a man, and he was in a casket, and this, this evangelist and this, and this uh, funeral procession, there were thousands of people that had gathered around this man, and they were praying. And this evangelist, he laid his hands up on him, and he prayed that God would resurrect that man in the casket. And do you know what happened? That man in the casket, he sat up. He sat up in the casket, and the crowd went wild. And do you know what I did? I thought, that's got to be CGI. That's got to be fake. There's no way that's real. There's no way. And I caught myself thinking, I am part of what Abraham is saying. I am part of the people that would say, I don't believe that. This is a fake. It's a hoax. And yet I do believe in Jesus. I do believe that Jesus raised from the dead. I do believe that he came for me and that because of his resurrection, I don't have to worry about what the rich man went through. I can, be, I can take a detour from hell and I can arrive in heaven, not because of my resume, but because of the referral. Oh, friend, let me tell you in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, it says, See? I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Which one will you choose? Don't be like Lazarus. Don't turn your heart against faith. Don't, don't turn your eye away from the Lord. Embrace Christ. Embrace Christ. And I promise you, when you embrace Christ, it will change how you see the world. And it will change how you view people. And it will give you a heart of compassion. It will give you a heart of love so that you'll desire to help those. And so that you'll desire to be a witness for Christ. If you're at home this morning, do me a favor, bow your head and close your eyes. If you would like to receive Christ today, this very moment, if you would like to take a detour from heaven or from hell to heaven, then please say this prayer with me. Say, Father God, I am a sinner. I am no different than the rich man. I have been evil. I have been wicked. I have followed my own rules. And I've gone my own way. 
And yet, Lord, today, I'm tired of that way of living. Today, Lord, I want to receive you as my Savior. Today, Lord, I admit my resume. It may look good in the eyes of the world, but it comes woefully short in the eyes of Christ. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died for me, that you love me, and that you are alive today, and that you have resurrection power. Today, Jesus, I call upon your name to step into my life. Lord, I commit my life to you, and I long to be obedient to you. Lord, change my heart, change my mind, and help me see the people of this world the way you see them, as a gift and as people that need love and compassion. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me today. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.